You're listening to Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American Podcast, Episode 72. Welcome to the Carry On Friends Podcast, where you'll be inspired and empowered to do amazing things in your personal lives, career, business, and community. With your host, Carrie Ann Reed Brown. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Ann. And as always, I'm so excited that you're listening. My guest for today is Kirk Anthony Hamilton, who is an entrepreneur, investor, and community curator. He's also the CEO of Infinity Partnership, which is a company connecting opportunities to a dynamic network of people, capital, and markets. In this episode, Kirk and I discuss a few of the initiatives that he has in place, all part of his goal of shifting the image of the Caribbean as a business destination. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. Here's my interview with Kirk Anthony Hamilton. Hello, Kirk Anthony. Welcome to the Carry On Friends podcast. I am super excited that you're on the show. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It's definitely a pleasure. I'm happy to, to speak to your audience and you know, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Awesome. So Kirk Anthony, why don't you tell the community of friends a little bit about who you are so we can set it up in terms of the conversation we're about to have? No problem. So I am an architectural designer turned entrepreneur and investor uh, who has decided to take this path of, of building out a few platforms that are designed to attract wealth, innovation, influence, and big media to the Caribbean in an effort not only to drive investment, uh, partnership, mentorships, and such, but also to shift the image of the, of the region as a business destination. Um, typically, what we've found is that from a global perspective, the, the Caribbean is only seen as one of two things, uh, tourist destinations, so fantastic beaches mm-hmm. uh, where people can come and relax and drink a beer, or as a place that is fairly poor and not good for doing business. So, you know, organizations like Grace Kennedy and Sagicor and such like that are not usually matched up with the Caribbean. People don't think that we have these multinational conglomerates existing here. And so we have designed platforms that aim to elevate um, the best organizations in the region, highlight the opportunities for disruption, and really bring the, the global business ecosystem to the table to um, to form collaborative opportunities here. And our two platforms right now are called the Destination Experience, uh, which we can share more about, as well as Tech Beach Retreat, um, which we can also discuss through the through the conversation. Awesome, awesome. That sounds like a lot, but definitely touching on the common threads that I've heard, which is. you know, the Caribbean scene as really a tourist um, destination or it's too poor, the infrastructure is not there, whatever else they've highlighted as missing and not conducive for the investments or any other entrepreneurial activity within the region. So you mentioned the destination experience and the Tech Beach events. Talk to me a little bit more about specifically what those two are set up to do and what's been the the success or what's been the outcome since you started those two platforms? No problem. Um, I'll start with Destination. Uh, destination Experience is kind of our baby. 
and, and the flagship um, community that we have because it was the first one that we started building and it has been the, the more challenging and interesting journey for sure. Um, so the destination experience is really designed to attract global business leaders to the table to meet with their local peers. Um, so we're primarily a C-level community uh, of individuals um, who connect around the, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the various opportunities that might exist for profitable disruption within the Caribbean. So focusing on a number of key sectors um, that are that are ripe with opportunity in in Jamaica and the wider region, which does include tourism, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but having people come to the table and and look at real investment opportunity. Um, Tech Beach kind of narrows down from there specifically to the the tech industry, and you know we do attract a group of high quality individuals to Tech Beach who are from you know quite a few of the the big names that you might imagine. So organizations like Google and PayPal, Facebook, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we in that space we involve you know quite a few local and regional startups um, who are looking for investment and advice and and, and such like that mentorship um, and international partnerships and and we have created a space where these groups can really connect get to know each other on a very human level um, and work towards business outcomes I mean, those are really huge undertakings. And I mean, it's it's one of those things where getting the right people in the room to see the potential, I can, I can definitely understand the challenges. Now, from my audience perspective, you in, in both situations, you're going for like the C-suite, the higher level. I think my audience might be more on the flip side where they might be a startup or considering a startup. But I want to zoom back a little bit. There seems to be this, this, um, the discussion about the diaspora and the role the diaspora plays when it comes to entrepreneurship within the region, Jamaica, and the entire Caribbean as a whole. But I'm curious, what is your, or what are your thoughts, or what is your position on the role that I play, my peers play, in terms of helping um, entrepreneurs in the region or fostering? Um, the, the, the ecosystem are growing from where it is now? No worries. Um, so firstly, as mentioned with Tech Beach, we do target startups. Mm-hmm. And overall with our platforms, we've actually done very well with engaging diaspora members. And it's one of our key pillars is to be able to, you know, sift through and identify these diaspora members who have, you know, managed to attain a certain level of success, as, as you have probably pointed out with our platforms, and, and be able to bring them to the table. But more importantly, when you ask about the role of diaspora, it, it doesn't only come down to, to C-level individuals being involved, especially um, when you consider startups. So where I see the diaspora really being able to help with amplifying and, and getting involved in the renaissance of the Jamaican economy is that diaspora members are well placed in a very interesting way in the sense of be you know being able to offer real access to a certain market and that doesn't really come down to you know um, reaching a certain level as yet 
But there are, you know, players in the region who are looking to be able to enter, let's say, the U.S. market or the U.K. market or the Canadian market. And what they're typically missing is um, a connector into that space. And so diaspora members being strong understand, you know, with a strong understanding of the, the region from the standpoint of, you know, probably grew up in somewhere like Jamaica, um, want to do business with Jamaica, want to make an impact. I think the, the best thing that any diaspora member can really do is essentially act as a gateway between, um, you know, the Caribbean and the market with, within which they reside. And I think that's a, actually a very dual role in the sense of on one end, you can be positioned to really allow organizations within the region to then be able to access the, the U.S. or Canada or the U.K., as I mentioned earlier, but also in the other direction, right? So I've said to people within the diaspora, if you're looking on the Caribbean, um, based on certain dynamics that, that are occurring here, the best move you could ever make is to be able to pull in global resources into the region. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, ex importing, you know, goods for cheaper than anybody is able to make them here, but also just being able to import, whether it be mindsets or know-how or capital, um, because you, you already reside in this market that is very well resourced with innovation, technology, mm -hmm. and, um, and capital. Mm -hmm. So I think the, that's the main role I would ever see the diaspora being able to play is, is really being able to be a, a true connector with the global um, marketplace for business. That, you know, when, when you say it, that dual role, so we've on the show, we've talked about the dual role where a lot of times we are very Caribbean at home. And I mean, I live in, you know, New York City, Brooklyn, and Brooklyn has a very large Caribbean population. But even without that, in the home, you're very Caribbean, you go out to work, you have a very American. So we're always straddling both cultures. So, you know, we think of it in terms of actual cultural stuff. But when it comes to entrepreneurship, the way you've positioned it, whereas we, you know, we now have this, I don't want uh, maybe global view and we're, we, we're able to, we understand the American culture, how they do business and how we can use that knowledge to help local peers to kind of, or, you know, kind of broker or, or be that go between for, for opportunities. So I think that was a really interesting point that I never really considered, um, in how we can help and, and in both ways, as you've pointed out, not just, you know, from the, the region to here, but, you know, vice versa. So one of the things that I also read from an article that you did, you said you noticed that a lot of young people um, compared to when you, I think you went to South Africa. So you noticed that there weren't a lot of young people in Jamaica that weren't at the forefront of various industries as you've seen in other countries. So what are some of the industries that you feel that maybe young people should be more involved in or um, maybe why aren't young people aren't as involved in various industries? Um, I would say every single industry, um, <laughs> first and foremost. You know, there there's some simple realities in, in the world. Um, you know, in the large majority of territories, including the Caribbean, millennials actually make up the large majority of um, of the population. And many and, and also represent a significant amount of the of the spending power on a collective basis. And so 
many organizations within the Caribbean are trying to sell products to this group of people who they then have never engaged um, in any kind of leadership or authoritative position, right? And um, and so, as I mentioned earlier, whether you're in consumer goods or you're in tourism, I, I think this applies to just about any um, any organization that is out there. So the experience I had in South Africa was that I met upon a group of young people from all over the world who were sitting on boards of large organizations, you know, um, Pepsi and um, HSBC and these, these large institutions that saw a value in, in engaging young people at a, at a very high level and having, you know, giving them a seat at the table and having them be able to offer meaningful input into the, um, into the outcomes that the company was, was looking for. So for me, you know, having seen that and just with ambition from before, um, I've, I've just seen it as a very necessary and critical thing for Caribbean organizations to also employ. Um, I would say that, you know, that was written in 2013. It's now 2017. I think there has been somewhat of a shift and improvement, you know, albeit slow from when I wrote that to where we are now, where increasingly, but very quietly, I've seen where there are CEOs in Jamaica who have been forming, you know, essentially small advisory boards um, that, that they've included young people on. Um, I just think it's it's extremely important that more young people, though, become, uh, are allowed to be engaged at, at just the highest level and placed in these various job positions that are leading the way for these companies so that they can really be able to to tap into the um to the market that is millennials right we are a very different generation fairly misunderstood in many ways and um it's hard to imagine how or or why some organizations operate trying to target again this very specific group of people but are not doing so with the the leadership guidance and advice of, of people who actually fall into that category mm-hmm. and know and understand the customer base extremely well. So, um, you know, yeah, that would be, that would be my sum up on, on that end. Yeah. You, the, the, what you're describing maybe to a lesser extent, some of the challenges all around when it comes to engaging younger people, um, yeah. uh, just this, this very big misunderstanding of, you know, being lazy or, you know, a a whole bunch of different things. But a a lot of it is part of, you know, what they saw growing up and a value of more work-life balance, but yet still to have enough responsibility to be, you know, respected and their input date, which, which is valued. So a lot of this also, from my experience, may require some leadership training and mentoring on the side of the young people. Do you have anything in place or what is the landscape like for things to kind of groom young leaders? Well, uh, I'll, I'll say a couple of things to that. On one end, I, I do agree in the sense of how millennials are, are often viewed. And some of these are very real situations. And we're we're living in a very interesting time where we have things at our disposal that we're not real 10 and 15 years ago, right? And so the world is, the world, much like us uh, as millennials, is trying to adapt and figure out how to 
how to handle these changes, you know, with things like social media. But I also share with people all the time that there are also some very real, you know, some realities that have come in our space when you talk about hard work and all of these other kind of things. Um, we now live in an extremely hyper-connected world. And, you know, the, the level of efficiency that people are operating with now is vastly different than than what it was in in let's say the 90s and so the question you often have to ask when you when you bring up things like work life balance is how much work do you really do right like what is what is considered a limit because the space we are now living in what it takes to get to people what it takes in some cases to get things done is significantly less time than it ever did um back in the day right so Mm -hmm. more and more i think we have to be accepting of um of that shift in in terms of just how things are going so that would be my kind of first feedback on that if you if you could actually position the question once more for me because i decided to attack that part first no that no but that's perfectly fine because i think one of the big challenges or misconception you know for, for like even the term millennial, right? Technically, mm-hmm. if you're going by the years of birth, I'm not a millennial. I'm a late Gen Xer. But you know, we've we've kind of grown up into this technology age, and it's always seemed as if you know it's it's a generation seeing a new generation through their eyes. And it's almost like when you're growing up, you know, your parents would say, well, I remember when I went to school, I had one pair of shoe and they start going back and like, yeah, but that's not our reality. No. So they're mm-hmm. judging us based on their reality and not taking into consideration that we, we will never have that, you know, I, we will never have that concept. We will never go back to, to live that way. So sometimes it's very unfair. And what happens is young people oftentimes to prove themselves only for it still not to be good enough. There's something missing. So there's always like a frustration on both parts that I absolutely a hundred percent agree with. Um, and, and it's, it's, I, I find there's not a lot of, you know, coming to the table and having these discussions because sometimes, you know, they're, they're looking at us as their children where, as opposed to being young adults who have, you know, thoughts and opinions that are of value. And I, and I think that's the first thing is like, Oh yeah, little pitney, you know, and, and not everyone, but it's, it's almost, that's the way we're, we're initially treated. No, for sure. I, I always tell people that in the Caribbean, especially Mm -hmm. you are, you know, we still view young in business as 40 years old, right? So mm-hmm. 40 and 45. I remember a list came out some time ago that highlighted a, a group of, you know, th- essentially the next generation of leadership. And I was reading it and I was like, wow, this is this is quite interesting because most of the people listed were significantly older than I am. And um, I I would have never, I would have always seen them as leaders, right? I would have never casted them out there as the next generation i would have seen them as the current Mm -hmm. leaders in the island right so Mm -hmm. it's um it's interesting to see things from from even that perspective right and and that's where um you know as i said with my experience while there are certain challenges that the entire world face when it comes faces when it comes to engaging young people overall um i think that the Caribbean, amongst another set of, of um, territories, is is very unique when it comes to to some of these things. So you know, you end up, as I mentioned earlier, with a 
with a 40 or 45 year old person in business being seen as, you know, this, this super young guy. Um, yes. And we speak about these individuals as if, you know, they're just getting started or they're just really, you know, coming into their own. And as you put it early, um, earlier, kind of in this kind, you know, in this fairly childish kind of manner, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, now this guy is, is really manning up and, and growing up, which is, um, is unfortunate, right? The world is minting younger and younger billionaires. Yes. Um, you know, I, I meet people all the time who are like CMOs and, and um, clearly CEOs as well. Like the, the CEO of Burger King right now is a 36-year-old guy, right? He started at 32. Wow. Um, it's, it's, you know, this guy has shifted the revenues of, of this organization by billions of dollars, right, in, in, um, under his leadership. And so when you look at things like that and then you look at the Caribbean situation where, you know, I don't think we can name a, a 30-something-year-old CEO of a large corporate, no. right? Um, it's, it's interesting to, to look at because, again, the, the people who are buying these products usually are young Younger. people. Mm-hmm. And so why is it that, you know, why is it that you're not engaging them at a leadership level to, to then, you know, even garner more, right? And, and I would say to you this, you know, the, the Caribbean currently, especially in Jamaica, is in a fairly need-based state. Yes. But as the country evolves and the economy does better and better, we're moving into a more opportunity-based state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, competition is increasing in various sectors and such like that. And it's it's slowly but surely going to start shifting the way that organizations operate because what what then starts to happen is I no longer have to buy your product, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's more available to me. Um, and when that starts happening, I, th- I think more and more organizations awaken to to reality. But right now, you know, they're they're in a fairly fortunate position, which is that in many places or in many industries, there's only one certain point of access, right? Mm-hmm. One or two. Um, players that I can absorb a certain product from. And so um, based on necessity, I, you know, you end up with a target market that kind of overlooks the the bigger picture. But again, as, as we evolved, you will, sorry, as we evolve, you'll start seeing people looking at the bigger picture in, in numerous ways. And these things will become um, very relevant, right? You will start hearing people saying things like, I'm not going to buy from that company because they don't do X, mm-hmm. right? Because their values around the envi- environment aren't important or, you know, they don't value young people in a certain way. And all of these other um, dynamics will start to rise around how people make decisions on on where they spend. Right. And it's like it's not at the point where the decisions are emotional versus here in the U.S. It's a very emotional decision. It's who I feel like, you know, I I really rate and relate to that brand in Jamaica. It's very it's very different at this point because of, you know, needs. It's a needs based versus opportunities based. And, you know, they're very they're not a lot of um competition for lack of a better word in certain sectors so it's like you either go here or there it's that's that's pretty much it for sure like there are people who consciously you know and i won't speak on the company so much but there are people who in the u.s for example consciously do not buy at places like walmart because they think that certain values of the organization in Mm -hmm. in in their mind 
does not add up to their values. And that is a very real, you know, sense of choice based decision mm-hmm. that, as I mentioned earlier, as we, you know, as we evolve, um, you will see people making more and more of those kind of decisions here in, in Jamaica and, and the wider Caribbean. Yeah. You know, what was interesting, and then I'll go back to the, the question. Last week, I, you know, I take a lot of notes. So on the 13th, I was talking to someone and, you know, we were talking about, you know, my experience coming up and looking for mentorship. And she, you know, I said, you know, I did meet, you know, older and more accomplished, you know, Jamaican people or people from the Caribbean. But it almost felt like they didn't want to bother with me. And I mean, I, I'm sure it's not what everyone, but for those who I came across and she's like, yeah, I get you. It was a bit standoffish. It was a power distance and age respect because somewhere in there, I always felt like, you know, you have to go through the ropes and you have to kind of, you know, put in the work. And it's almost like, I don't need 20 years to put in a work, you know, now based on the, the, the technology we have, the interconnectedness, as you pointed out, the resources, a whole bunch of stuff. And I think, to, to what you say, that's kind of where I can see the friction with the yeah. young and itching well, to really do stuff. I'll share something with you. I used to have a job, right, um, some years ago, and it was in the U.S., and it was with an organization that I found to be very hierarchical. And, and the big challenge I had was, you know, I studied architecture. So architecture is a space that has been heavily impacted by technology over the last few years, right? There's been a complete shift from pen on paper to to the digital side of things. And so here I was working in an organization where I I felt like young people were not being valued the way that they should, despite a very interesting shift. You literally had people who were in leadership positions who could not open the software that we utilized on their computers. They just simply didn't know how to do it. And I am not saying that is any reason for them to be removed or disrespected in any way. At the end of the day, they're fairly knowledgeable individuals with a significant amount of experience. But it's hard for me to absorb that you are then also trying to lead me in a space where I definitely should be the leader because you don't know this tool, yes. right? You do not know how to utilize it. But yet still, even in, in an area that you have zero knowledge on, not even basic, zero knowledge on, you you feel the need to control um, process and outcomes. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm just looking for more balanced relations. I understand the value of people who are significantly older than me. I take, you know, a lot of, first of all, the destination experience, I'm kind of the youngest person in the community usually. And, um, you know, I take a lot of cues from people who I see as wiser and more experienced than myself. Um, but at the same time, I also try to to push on them the the value and the need to engage younger individuals. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, more and more we're seeing a shift from what you just mentioned, which which I'm very aware of. Right. It's kind of very pedantic outlook on, on people to where people are more willing to have conversation. I wouldn't call it balance yet, but it's mm-hmm. definitely evolving and changing. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the other question I was asking, um, is there any, anything that you're doing for in terms of, so since the younger people aren't really in a position to, to be leaders of companies, the way it's here, um, in the U S in the Canada and the UK, 
are there any programs in place to kind of have leadership development in preparation for when those opportunities do come? It's almost as if, you know, um, what what I, I just saw something on Instagram that says, you know, luck, um, luck is when preparation and opportunities meet or something. So it's like, is there anything to 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 help the younger generation prepare for the opportunities, the discussions, the conversations? Um, I know there on, on the U.S. side, you see it all the time. It is heavy. I have no shortage of choices of leadership programs. So what is happening in the region for the, my counterparts there? Um, I think there are a number of initiatives happening here. I I won't speak on which ones are necessarily good or bad because, you know, my knowledge in, in that space is, is relatively limited and we are not, you know, um, we're not necessarily program driven in, in that regard. So we don't design and sell programs either. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there is the Young Leaders of America's initiative, which was designed under oh, um, President Obama mm-hmm. and has continued into into this year. I'm not sure how much longer it will will run, but they recently hosted a, a regional kind of two day workshop I saw here in Jamaica Um bringing together, you know, young people from countries all over the Caribbean and Latin America um, to to convene around, you know, various um, ideas and, and such like that. And Richard Branson spoke to the audience. Um, there, you know, the World Bank and the IDB seemingly do a lot of work in that space as well, mm-hmm. um, pulling together young people, right, um, and bringing in international mentors and such like that. Uh, it's, you know, right now very I would say primarily entrepreneurship driven, right? So um, that's who they typically target. Um, what we do is, as I mentioned, not necessarily as program driven. Like we don't have anything putting someone through a three month process or anything like that. Um, what we offer really is access, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we're we're highlighting, as I mentioned earlier, kind of the best in class organizations in the Caribbean, whether they're startups or otherwise, um, and and putting them into the company of international leaders um, and highlighting them themselves as leaders is, is also important to me, which is kind of what we do. But to to share how I think what we're doing make, can make an impact, um, you know, we had a very successful diaspora member, Dr. Kingsley Chin, participate in the last destination experience. And in his presentation, he spoke to something that was very interesting to me, which was kind of a life ladder in business and just showing, you know, people where they should be at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. And, you know, he said some things that were very real when he got into the 60 and 70 space, just saying to people, you know, at this age, uh, and Kingsley is in his early 40s, right, um, but runs a a billion dollar portfolio in the health tech industry. Um, he, has an, he has an investment firm in the in the health tech space. And he basically was just saying, you know, at this point, is when you should be stepping aside and, and allowing young people to leave, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that is, you know, to me very, first of all, it was it was a big, it was well-received, but quite shocking for him to say clearly in the room. Mm-hmm. And those kind of voices are, are where we, you know, see ourselves continuing to make an impact by bringing, you know, global players to the table, just kind of sharing and saying, hey, listen, I exist in your space. We operate at your level. Um, here's how we are 
doing things and this is the value we found in doing it as opposed to other approaches which I just have decided not to take on as much which is you know having a a group of younger individuals trying to press upon or impress upon this you know the leadership tear the need to instill certain um things within their business practice but then not really having the the context I would say necessary to to really drive it home so that is where we have kind of um worked to to make a difference in in the regard of what you put forward in terms of some level of development and and such like that so we try to just drive thought leadership around these different areas man i would have loved to be in that room when he said that because you know you don't have too many people i mean other than that um dr claire nelson you're familiar with that we just did an episode where she's like we really she's she's like she's looking for the new generation of leaders because you know and but she was talking from her experience when she got started she said the older people were locking her out she's now in her 50s and she's like i'm i know i'm ready i, I already have my plan for when i want to step aside i'm looking for the people so i can do that um transition, you know, or, you know, changing of the guard early. And I, and when you find people who are already aware of that and already have like a succession plan in place, those are the people that, you know, I feel are just eager to impart knowledge and groom. So I, that I'm sure that was an awesome experience. So now, um, the tech beach event is coming up in November and December. So what are we looking forward and, um, to, what should we look forward to for this event? Um, Lisa, Nancy, they were all like, Carrie Ann, you're coming to this, right? So I, I, what, what should people expect and um, where can they find more information to come out to this event? And as diaspora members, kind of, I guess this would be a really great opportunity to, to meet people and kind of see how they could position themselves in that dual role that we talked about earlier. Sure. Um, so a few things to that point. Um, one, you know, Tech Beach's website is techbeach.net. So I just want to share that from now. My email address is kirk at techbeach.net when it comes to Tech Beach. So anyone who's interested and, and has any other questions, feel free to, to reach out. It's kind of interesting you put that forward because how we've engaged some diaspora members, or for the most part, many of them, is that folks have reached out to us basically saying, Hey, you know, I've I've always wanted to get involved in the business community in Jamaica, whether it be from a true investment standpoint or being able to help, you know, young entrepreneurs to to further their visions and their dreams. Um, and I've never really found a way to to do it, but I've stumbled upon this thing that you're doing, and would love to know more, and and would love to get involved. And we've managed to engage quite a few community members through through that process, right? Um, so definitely, you know, I think I had a call up to last week, Tuesday morning, which was the same kind of situation. A guy reached out to me on LinkedIn and was like, Hey, you know, I've been following some of the things you've been doing. I'm based in New York. I'm very interested in doing things in Jamaica, but I just really don't have this access point. Um, what you can expect from Tech Beach is, is I think it's going to be an awesome experience. Having done this for a few years now, um, and, and, participated in many of these communities, I've never seen anything like what we've developed in with Tech Beach. And I say that, you know, with the greatest level of humility. But the, the reality is we hosted a conference last year where people literally left in tears 
after the experience was done. And my team and I just spent a month in San Francisco as a part of the preparation for the next Tech Beach, um, which you know we will be following up on that trip with another one later in the year, where we simply were meeting with global organizations and um, just saying to them, hey, there is, an, there is another side to the Caribbean that you've probably never heard of or, or seen, or this may be a region that you've just totally overlooked. And we would like to engage you in participating in the, the economic development of, of, this, um, of this region. In many cases, we actually do connect with diaspora members in leadership positions within some of these um, global tech organizations. But what I'll share with you for now is that we do have a few big names who have confirmed to participate. I won't share the names right now, but you know we have a very strong roster that's, that's kind of coming together now for Tech Beach. So that is extremely exciting. Um, and, and so I think you know on the end of the diaspora members, uh, you know what Tech Beach really offers is the opportunity to connect with the people who truly have an understanding of what is happening within the region and what it takes to be successful in the region when it comes to the tech and innovation side. And what is needed, right, is, is also very critical. And so you essentially have this concentrated space where you can engage with, you know, a lot of startups and people looking to make investment, you know, through venture capital, etc., in the space, in the Caribbean, but who are, you know, already well on their way in, in some regard. Usually what I tell people about, especially the Caribbean participants within Tech Beach at the startup level is that these are super smart individuals doing amazing things, many of whom the only separation between them and um, entrepreneurs in other parts of the world like Silicon Valley and London, etc., is that we don't have as robust a uh, venture capital kind of um, yeah. infrastructure and mindset as yet. And so, you know, these guys may not be raising 10 million US dollars from, from venture capitalists, but they, they typically are in the space of um, having raised some money. Some, you know, in some cases, we have a few guys in, in, um, in our community who have raised uh, significant international capital who are based in the Caribbean. But, um, you know, if they haven't raised in the millions, they may be in the space of bootstrapping, you know, into the hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and doing pretty well. And so that, that small gap when it comes to, you know, new age level of financing is, is really what they're missing. Mm -hmm. And anyone looking to participate would, would be able to expect to, to engage with the, the people really making moves here, as well as, you know, as, I think I pointed out earlier, folks who work with companies like Facebook, Dropbox, PayPal, um, you know, LinkedIn and the like, um, who who have bought into the idea that a better outcome for the Caribbean is very possible and want to be engaged in it. So yeah. that is that's the game plan for this year is is really centered around access. Um, so it, it should be fun and exciting and um and just an awesome place to meet entrepreneurs and innovators in the in the tech space. Awesome, awesome. Um, and thank you for sharing that information. I'll make sure I put all of this in the show notes. So as we wrap up, Kirk Anthony, what is your last word to the audience and to the community of friends when it comes to looking at the region um, as a area ripe for innovation? and for investments what's one thing that you would like them to if they 
don't hear anything else, what's one main takeaway? Huh. That's a that's a that's actually a tough one to to narrow down into one thing. Um, what I would say is that I would more put it the way I look at things, right? And so I usually say to people that there there are a lot of folks who think that you know Jamaica and the Caribbean are are where they are to be, and and that we're at our limit to some extent. And um, when I look out the window, whenever I'm in Jamaica, I, I simply just find it hard to believe that this is it. And this is the limits of what we can achieve, especially as a nation that has garnered so much on an international level when it comes to, you know, our our brand and our culture and such like that. And so I believe that economic prosperity is a very real possibility for the region. And I think that's where I think that's where it all starts. And so what we share as well with many organizations is that in this new age of, you know, the promotion of entrepreneurship and um, and innovation as the driver to economic success for any country or nation, it is very difficult to make the case for overlooking a, a territory because of its size, mm-hmm. right? Which is often what the narrative is around the Caribbean. The, the realities of the world, when you think about possibilities, are that the large majority of um, wealthy nations, the top 10 wealthy nations are are not made up of countries that all look like the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, most of the countries on the top 10, top 20 list are, are quite small. Um, and so that narrative um, that we've been sold over the fa- past few decades, as far as I'm concerned, is actually a myth. And the Caribbean is actually well poised for economic growth through a number of factors that many of us probably hear quite often, including our, you know, the geographic position of somewhere like Jamaica, the fact that we speak English and our, you know, affinity towards um, certain ideals within Western culture make us more than ever the one of the best places for people to, to want to look at doing business and to invest. And so that's my outlook. Mm-hmm. And I welcome anyone who sees the idea of a better Caribbean as a possibility to to join in in making that happen. Absolutely. Well, you've heard it, the call to action. And you can, I'll put everything in the show notes, how you can connect with Kirk Anthony for the up to- upcoming Tech Beach event and any other, you know, investments into the region. I am so excited to have connected with him and, um, I hope that everyone sees, you know, because the reason why we do the show and the reason why Kirk Anthony is on the show is because we are passionate about our culture and the potential that we see in our people, not just as Jamaicans, but the region as a whole. And so we invite you to, you know, see the potential with us and take that step. Kirk Anthony, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'm really grateful that you've taken up the charge to to be the forefront and to to kind of help spearhead the movement. And uh, thank you for so much for your hard work. And um, as we wrap up, I love to say at the end of the show, everybody walk good. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. For a recap of this episode and other great articles, please visit the blog at www.carryonfriends.com. That's C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-F-R-I-E-N-D-S dot com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends. 
a show about the Caribbean American experience, produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.